hit that like button and uh, also hit that subscribe button if you if you would. And uh, that would be a great way to start off our new year for sure. We got a packed house today. I'm Craig Smoke back after a couple weeks break for Christmas and thrilled to be back with you guys here on the podcast. Joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer and behind the scenes we've got Garrett Ross as well as the new year continues to unravel and the college football season officially comes to a close as of last night. And Michigan, your national champions, defeating Washington in the final of the college football playoff down in Houston. Grayson, it's officially the offseason across the board. Uh, You've got um, Harbaugh and the Wolverines standing on top of the mountain, and next year an expanded playoff. But uh, how are you doing this week, and uh, are you ready for full-on offseason action now at this point? Yeah, I mean, I kind of have already been diving into this off-season time period because of the transfer portal, also because Baylor not having a bowl game, it really kind of made things, just put a greater emphasis on the transfer portal, I feel like. And so, yeah, I mean, last night's game, another, you know, I know it was close on the scoreboard, but really not a great national championship game for the second straight year. Um, So that was kind of a bummer. I was hoping Washington would put up more of a fight, but obviously Michigan came through with the win. And I I think this has just gotten me even more ready for the 12-team playoff, to be honest with you. I I think the results will be a little bit... uh, you know, a little bit more different. The games will be a little bit closer. I think we'll have more close games between really good teams, which I'm actually all for and very excited about. Yeah, it was a close game for a majority, but uh, Washington just did not play their best in in really any way, shape, or form, especially uh, their star quarterback. Did not have a very good night. There's a variety of reasons for that, but uh, yeah, we will see. It's now the era of the 12-team playoff, and that could always get tweaked at some point down the line, but it's what we're going to get for... Uh, for the foreseeable future, and so does Baylor have a part in that? Will they have a part in that? When will they have a part in that? That's part of what we're here to discuss, uh, not just today, but over the next several shows and weeks and months as they get their you know ducks in a row for the 2024 season after a very disappointing 2023. So the last time I was with you guys, it was uh, around National Signing Day, and we've had Christmas and all that since then, but I know you've covered all the new additions and everything that's gone on with that. Uh, Before we dive into what was a busy week when it comes to additions, how would you describe just what you've kind of seen so far from the Bears and their plan of attack and just sort of where you see them in terms of momentum and strategy and just kind of where we are now at this point uh, here in uh, mid-January. I mean, it's certainly different um, than what we have seen in the past. And and you're seeing a Baylor program and a Baylor staff that I I think is much more geared to the future of college football. And a lot of that has to do with NIL. A lot of that has to do with the transfer portal uh, and their approach to both of those. And we knew changes were coming. That was obvious. Dave Randa mentioned it. Mac Rhodes mentioned it. Everyone's mentioning it. But until you see it, you can't exactly believe in it. And I do think that we are seeing a different level here. I mean, the the caliber of guys who are coming on visits has improved drastically. Uh, I would say the commitments they've gotten has improved drastically. Um, And just the guys that I think they're in on it is very different. The vibe's very different there. And I think it's all because of this change of approach. And I think it does set up Baylor much better uh, for the future uh, than where they have been the past two years. 2022 kind of just saying, "Uh, you know what, we're good with the roster that we have, you know, only going to take a few guys here and there. 
that cost them. And then last year, of course, went to the portal, added a bunch of guys, but the guys they added really, you know, in the long run, it, it didn't add up to a very complete roster. It just wasn't complete enough. They needed more uh, pieces, more quality pieces, I would say. So I think this year we're seeing some changes in that regard, and I like what they've done so far, but still a lot of work to do, I would say, as well as we get closer to the end of this first uh, initial transfer portal period. Yes, well, they've already gone out and grabbed six transfers now at this point. You've previously covered covered three of them, uh, and now there's been three more just in these last few days uh, to now uh, dive into. So let's go ahead and, and get into it. Uh, Kurt Daniker, a 6'4", 330-plus pound offensive lineman uh, from Ohio, was uh, one of the most recent pledges for Baylor was ranked a two-star prospect coming out of high school. I know that there's services that re-rank him, and he's like now like a three-star type of a guy. But a big body at, at 6'4", 330-plus pounds, um, a Pennsylvania native originally, and has uh, spent the, the last few seasons with the Ohio Bobcats. So your thoughts on attacking the offensive line um, and what this means as far as the plans. And uh, you've got a new offensive line coach amongst the various tweaks you've had on this staff so what does that also say about sort of the strategy coming from a new set of eyes on this offensive line right so I think I want to start with that so Chris Kapilovic comes in from Michigan State obviously he's coming in and he's going to get guys that he wants but it's also all in line to fit with Jake Spavital's scheme right so so you kind of got to put those two and two together Um, but it's clear they have a type in, in what they're going you know, to try to land in this class. So you're seeing a lot of guys that are much heavier than what Baylor had on their current roster. When you look at uh, Daniker, who we're going to talk about, 332 pounds. Other guys they're recruiting, like Jacoby Jackson, is a 320, 325-pound tackle. Um, so, again, more size there. And then Omar Egbedi and their other uh, commit on the offensive line is about 322, 325, somewhere in their pounds. So they're trying to get bigger, stronger on the interior of their offensive line and also at tackle. And I think it was clear last year they were not strong enough to move people they were not big enough to move people and it cost them it cost them dearly because even when they were having a complete stalemate up front it was leading to zero yard gains this year I think you're getting to a point where hey you can be pretty confident that it when it's a stalemate you're still going to get two yards and I think that's really really important to put the offense in better positions to succeed so I do think there is a type there we're seeing that approach change under Chris Kapilovic and of course Jake Spavital now as far as Daniker goes um, Ohio transfer like you mentioned Ohio has had some success the last couple years uh, which is great to see He's used to playing some winning football there. But the other thing that really stands out to him, and I think it's extremely important, um, Baylor won a head-to-head battle with Texas A&M for Kurt Daniker. He was supposed to take an official visit to Baylor and then go to College Station to visit Texas A&M. He called Texas A&M after the Baylor visit and canceled his visit with Texas A&M. This is a direct head-to-head win for the Baylor staff versus the Aggies. That's a big deal. He also had other offers from Iowa State, Syracuse, Boston College. Uh, There were other group of five schools as well. Uh, But they beat Power 5 schools, including an SEC school like A&M. That's huge. He only has one year of eligibility. um, So this is clearly just a guy that you're expecting to come in, start right away, be your left guard for this season, uh, allow their young guys who are very talented to grow into these starting roles, which is very important. You know, last year we saw guys starting who simply were not ready to start. 
And I think this year they're going to be kind of focusing on making sure the guys who are ready play roles on this team, but the guys who aren't ready have another year of growth before throwing them out there. As far as what you're getting with Daniker, well, he was the number 23 rated guard, according to PFF this season. Uh, was very good. He was 20th in run blocking. So really, I mean, that is his strength, is run blocking. He's very, very good up front at the initial point of contact. I wouldn't say that he's a a straight-up mauler where he's, you know, moving guys five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. But what I would say is I think he gives them a much better chance at getting second-level blocks than what they had last year. I think he's going to be able to create initial contact and and block his man, but also get to that second level and actually give Baylor chances to create explosive plays, which they did not do a year ago. Uh, Very intrigued by this. I think pass-blocking-wise, he's only going to get better. Uh, He's played a lot the last two years, but before that did not play a ton. Um, So I would say you know, there's a chance here that his best Football is ahead of him. So a huge pickup for the Baylor staff and a guy who, again, I anticipate is an immediate impactful starter at the left guard position. So Kurt Daniker coming in from Ohio, uh, big time, uh, you know, potential there as far as reworking your offensive line now with a couple of new faces in the fold. So uh, it's all potential. Uh, They've got to go out and do it. And, you know, there is um, this part of the transfer portal where I kind of joke that, everybody's a massive pickup for everybody. And we saw last year that was not necessarily the case. So there is a lot of hope involved here, but you got to attack and go get the guys that make sense and that fit what you're trying to do. And so far we're seeing the puzzle pieces getting put together and getting a better idea of, of what the offensive line approach is going to be now with Egbedian and Daniker in the fold. So, um, yeah, it's you got to get the bodies first and then work on the rest of it. So a couple of... Big men up front, uh, now a part of this portal class, and they were not done there as uh, they also reeled in Texas State wide receiver Ashton Hawkins, uh, who Baylor has actually played the last couple of seasons and ought to know pretty well, had 100 yards and a touchdown versus the Bears uh, two years ago, uh, had a handful of catches, and um, I don't know, I had it in front of me a second ago, uh, but I might have already dropped it here. Uh, Let's see, Uh, no, Five catches, 58 yards in this past season's upset win over the Bears to start the season. So you've seen him catch some passes here in the last couple of years uh, at McLean Stadium, and now he'll be a part of the home team, hoping to have a few 100-yard games and a few 58-yard games and definitely getting into the end zone uh, would be the best thing possible for a receiving core that did that sparingly last year. But uh, when I talk about you know everybody's a big pickup for every team out there that's that's getting guys right now. I do think this is one where I go, okay, yeah, like I totally, this one, yeah, we've seen him, we've seen what he can do, we've seen the production, um, and has caught a lot of passes. Uh, also, uh, knows a little thing or two about Jake Spavital in Texas State, uh, given the connections there down in San Marcos. So, Ashton Hawkins, a 5'10", 170-ish, uh, speedy guy, Grayson. How does he fit into the wide receiver core, inside guy, um, and, and what does that look like with the, the reunion here with Jake Spavital? Right. So you mentioned that reunion part. I think that's key in all of this, to be honest with you. You know, Jake Spavital recruited him to Texas State. He played for him, had a prolific season in 2022, um, really when he got on the radar. And obviously he had the great game against Baylor um, that season. And then obviously, you know, Spavital leaves to go to Cal, gets fired. G.J. Kinney comes in and Ashton Hawkins performs again in a new offense. But I think it's so important because this is a guy that Spavital clearly targeted, clearly trusts for this offense. 
And that's huge, right? Because you got a guy that you got a lot of trust in who has familiarity with a scheme that you're bringing in in which you don't have a lot of prospects on campus who you know for 100% certainty are going to fit into this scheme. So you get a guy that you trust, a guy that you know can perform, and he's going to be a slot receiver. He's going to be a guy who uh, just wins, wins routes. That, that's what this is all about uh, for Baylor. He's going to get first downs. He's going to get touchdowns. He's going to create yards after catch, and he's going to be a safety blanket uh, for Daquan Finn. And I think that's huge. And you put that all together and you got a guy who gives them finally a reliable option in short area targets, which is something they did not have last year. Now, as far as stats go, uh, the past two seasons, he's been really, really good. Uh, uh, 1,461 yards, 10 touchdowns on 111 receptions. I would say you can pretty much bank on him coming to Baylor and basically at least having somewhere between 600 and 700 yards and five touchdowns, which is very, very good when you think about the other options that they have at wide receiver. Uh, But again, he gives them more of a a really, really safe floor. And and I think that's huge with him. He also does have 700-yard receiving games over the last two seasons, including one against Baylor. So there is some explosiveness there, but most of those 100-yard games, he's had you know seven, eight catches because that's what he does. He moves the chains and creates yak. Um, But yeah, he's very interesting because this year with G.J. Kinney, he actually played a lot of outside receiver. Whereas with Spavital, he was really only a slot guy. I expect him to get back to that slot role as Baylor does not have very many slot options at wide receiver. Uh, But I think in general, this is huge because Baylor's wide receivers simply have not been good enough the last two years. They need to add more talent there. With this addition, it helps them get closer to there, and they aren't done, I don't believe, at that position. Yeah, one of my initial reactions was it's good to have a guy who's actually gone out there and done it and Mm -hmm. proven it, and it's not, well, in a couple years, he should be pretty good or just needs some more reps and he'll be pretty good. And we've heard a lot of that with this wide receiving core to the point of like now it's time to produce or it's time to move on. I mean, I feel like, and and there are younger guys that it takes time. I'm not saying rush everybody out the side door and start all from scratch, but you can't just hope at this point if you're Dave Aranda, like, well, I hope we've got the guys that will mature and, you know, be ready to make big catches in big moments. No, you need a sure thing. You need some some guys who are going to go and do that, and you know they're going to go and do that. And so I feel like that's sort of addressed here with Ashton Hawkins as he's gone out and done it and proven that he can go out and do it. Yeah, and he's got one year of eligibility remaining. I did want to mention that, so you're seeing a trend here uh, as Baylor's really just trying to supplement the roster with guys who can come in and be impactful. I also wanted to mention this quote because I know a lot of people have been comparing him to Monterey Baldwin or, you know, how's that going to work? He's a totally different player than Monterey. Monterey is a burner, a speed demon, a guy who when he catches the football, I mean, just great burst, great acceleration. Hawkins is much more of a one-on-one guy who's going to win battles with slot defenders and with linebackers, get open very often, um, and then also create the yards after catch, but he's not a burner. He, he If he and Monterey raced, Monterey would win pretty much every time, and I don't think it would be close, but then you start doing shuttle drills and things like that. That's where it gets very different and very interesting with Hawkins. I talked to a former coach of his at DeSoto. He told me, in quotes, he has the Allen Iverson-type moves running routes. That's the best way I can describe it. So that's what you're going to see from him in the slot, just really making people look silly uh, trying to defend him, which is actually something that Baylor has had a ridiculously hard time defending over the past two years as well as their star position has not, you know, been good enough to cover in the slot. 
Well, we will address the star position yeah. in just a moment, but we interrupt this positive programming for some negative news out of the recruiting trail when it comes to wide receiver. As earlier this morning, uh, we did receive word that one of their top targets, Lejonte Wester, uh, who is in wide receiver in the transfer portal that a lot of teams have been hot on, including the Bears. Uh, he made his commitment, Grayson, and he's going to be in the Big 12. He'll, he'll face Baylor, uh, but as an opponent, and uh, he's going to be linking up with Dion and Shadour out in Boulder, Colorado. He is headed to the Buffaloes, and so this brings to a close one of the more intriguing recruitments in the transfer portal and at wide receiver, and obviously a bummer for the Bears and some other teams as well. Uh, but how does this change, I guess, what's in the plans, what's you know on their mind in terms of wide receiver? Because you just said they're going to add more. Mm-hmm. How does this affect that even even more still? Yeah, I mean, it impacts it some. I think if you got LeJonte Wester, you were pretty much set at wide receiver, I feel like. I mean, you could take one if you felt like taking a flyer um, or taking a young guy, basically, because Wester has one year of eligibility as well. Um, So it does impact in that way. I think that could lead Baylor to, for sure, taking three receivers. That's kind of my read on it at this point. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge miss because, I mean, Wester had offers from Penn State, Florida State, Ohio State, and of course, Colorado, among many, many others, I'm sure. Um, but that was kind of his final group. Um, and for Baylor to get him to take an official visit, I think is a clear sign that they are competitive now. NIL-wise, they are competitive as far as guys having interest in the program, even against schools like the ones I mentioned. Um, but it's a big miss. I, I mean, it absolutely is. He's a very, very good receiver, a guy who would have given you a clear alpha at the receiver position, and now you're probably going to be relying on, you know, Ashton and Keytron and Monterey to be those guys, even if you go out and add guys, just because it's really, really hard to find a guy like LeJonte Wester uh, in the transfer portal. So, back to positive programming, a third and final commit to talk about this week, but I did want to mention LeJonte Wester because I know yeah. it's been a popular name being bandied about, and do, uh, do you want me to talk about the other receiver that they're targeting right now, or do you want to sure. wait to the end? Uh, yeah, might as well go ahead and, okay. and all group it together here. Yeah. yeah, so the other guy who visited over the weekend was Mikey Matthews, the Utah wide receiver. Um, very interesting prospect because he, he went to Utah, only played his freshman year. He was a four-star prospect out of Mission Viejo uh, in California. Went in, was the third leading receiver on the team for Utah, and then he entered the portal. So he's got three years of eligibility remaining. He's very similar to Hawkins, and he's a clear slot receiver, but he's also a very good kick and punt returner. Uh, And those three years of eligibility really give Baylor a chance to reset the depth chart, in my eyes. Because if you look, you know, past the seniors, past the juniors, and you go, okay, What do they have on the roster? There aren't that many names that you can point to. And really the only slot names you can point to are really Jaden Porter and then it would be him. I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, Cameron Bonner's an older guy. Monterey Baldwin's graduating. I mean, they don't have many options there, so he would make a ton of sense. Uh, He's a four-star prospect from high school, also a four-star prospect in the portal. Um, So he is definitely one who would be a great fit for Baylor. They got him on campus. It seems like it's between Cal and Baylor currently. Uh, I think more schools might have gotten involved later in the weekend. Um, But Baylor has a shot there to really kind of rebound from missing off LeJonte Wester if they can finish with Mikey Matthews. So there's a little bit of a roundup at wide receiver. They do bring in Ashton Hawkins, Miss and LeJonte Wester, but are busy trying to fill in the rest of their once list uh, at 
the wideout position. So we'll see how it progresses from here, but good to at least land Hawkins. And that leaves us with one more pickup from this past week to discuss as they hit the defensive side and the star position uh, with Kendrick Simpkins, a safety out of Western Kentucky, six foot, 200 plus, and a playmaker, um, a guy with uh, nearly a handful of interceptions last year and a lot of disruption, Grayson, I think is kind of the name of the game when it comes to uh, Kendrick Simpkins, a guy who can get in the backfield and create a little bit of chaos for you, and that is something certainly that they have been in desperate need of now for a couple of seasons, little to no pressure whatsoever, and tons of problems in the back end, especially at safety, especially at star. So uh, this one seems to check a lot of boxes on paper Kendrick Simpkins, your thoughts on the young man from Western Kentucky? Yeah, I mean, Baylor had an All-American back in 2021 in Jalen Petrie at the star position. And after that, it has just been really, really tough to fill that role. Uh, Al Walcott, there was a lot of expectations for him. He gets hurt in fall camp and really just never got back into a groove, I didn't feel like, in that 2022 season. And then last year, it was even worse. I mean, they were playing a lot of young guys. They were having guys switch positions mid-season. It it just was not good. And I think if you watch the 2021 team – Obviously, you're going to point to how they, you know, were strong up front and how they, you know, did this and that. But Jalen Petrie was just so awesome that year that it really covered up mistakes that were ever made by the Baylor defense because he just wrecked havoc. And so even if you're giving up, you know, a few explosive plays here and there, the sacks, the forced fumbles, the interceptions, things like that, they really, really need for this defense to function properly. And This guy, I mean, Simpkins, seven and a half sacks. I mean, that is incredible. He had a 90.7 pass pass rush grade, which was number five nationally for safeties. Um, That's phenomenal. He led the nation in sacks as a defensive back. He was Conference USA uh, All-American. I mean, just a very, very good player and a guy who, again, those seven and a half sacks, 11 tackles for loss, eight quarterback hurries, four forced fumbles. This is a guy that just literally can change games because he's going to get in the backfield and going to wreck that kind of havoc. Uh, I think he's going to be very, very good and is a massive pickup for Baylor at a position that they really targeted early and often. And I think the biggest thing with him, and I, I think probably one of the more important things when you look at you know who Baylor lands, you want them to land their top guys, the priority guys, the guys who they offered early, stayed on, got to visit, got to commit. Simpkins was their top guy at star. They got him on campus. He committed. It's huge. They won a battle over Florida and Washington State for him um, and got him in the building. And now he's got one year of eligibility, I believe, uh, left. So he's going to come in, try to get himself ready for the NFL draft and have a huge year. And I know there's a lot expected from him by Dave Aranda and Matthew Pallage. But again, another huge pickup, a guy who will start immediately and play a massive role uh, for this Baylor team in 2024. So there you have it, a trio of new pickups through the transfer portal for Dave Aranda and the Bears this past week. Kurt Daniker, offensive lineman from Ohio, Ashton Hawkins, wide receiver from Texas State, and Western Kentucky safety Kendrick Simpkins now joined Daquan Finn, safety Cameron Jenkins, and offensive lineman Omar Bedian as a new Bears pledges. So Six is where we stand, and what does that look like, that number, when we look at it at the very end? Last year, it was 10-plus. It was around, what, 12 when all was said and done, I think, give or take a a spot or two. Uh, But they were in double digits. Is that the expectation here as well, which would mean at least four more guys 
What do you think is, as far as numbers go right now? Right, and they do have two JUCOs as well, so that does play into this some. But I think they're going to get closer. I would bet that they probably land around four more guys in the transfer portal as we get closer to spring football. Um, That would require closing on some guys that they had visiting this weekend, and then obviously whoever they try to bring in on visits uh, heading into uh, next weekend as well. I think the positions that I'm really looking at, wide receiver, um, tight end, uh, which we can talk about here in a minute if you'd like to, and then uh, the jack position. Those three positions I feel like have to be addressed, um, and then it's kind of best available in which I think they would probably use on the offensive line. Um, that's kind of where I'm at right now with how they close this out. I would like it, you know, after the spring, if they were able to land another defensive lineman, maybe a safety, maybe a linebacker. You know, those three positions are still a little bit up in the air for me. But if I look at the depth chart, I look at the roster, those positions are behind the ones that that I mentioned, which, again, wide receiver, tight end potentially, jack position for sure, and then the offensive line. So there you go. There's the trio that are coming in, but you did mention tight end, and there is one on his way out. We learned over the last uh, few days, couple of weeks, Jake Roberts was transferring out of Baylor after just one season. He came over from North Texas, joined Jeff Grimes' very tight end-friendly offense, and once Jeff Grimes left for Lawrence uh, after Dave Aranda decided to go a different direction at offensive coordinator with Jake Spavitol. Uh, you knew there would probably be a reduction in the numbers in that tight end room, and sure enough, Jake Roberts throws his hat in the ring, and we've now learned as of yesterday that he is headed to Oklahoma. Uh, so he will join up with a, a new look Sooners offense over there, and seems to me this is uh, – I don't want to take away from Jake at all. This is a need for them at tight end, and also based by the – reactions from their fans very much a play for his younger brother uh is more of what i got from the congratulations from sooners fans than i got from actually congratulations for jake himself but uh they welcome him into the fold up there in norman and so there's one less guy uh, on the roster we hardly knew you jake roberts it was just that one season um but that is something the long-term storyline i guess is his very talented younger brother and that would seem to ding the Bears' chances quite a bit not having Jake around any longer. Right, and, and I mean, Jeff Grimes leaving was always going yes, to ding that course. as well as that was his main contact at Baylor. And he loved Baylor, don't get me wrong, but now, you know, Oklahoma's the hometown team. It just seemed like mm-hmm. it was kind of a natural fit anyways. But now you add Jake Roberts, and it feels like that's probably going to be a done deal sooner rather than later, and that's great for Jake. He'll go have a solid year, I think, uh, in Norman. But again... I think if you look at what Baylor's looking at in the transfer portal, because once Jake left, they started evaluating the tight end position. It is clear they want someone different than Jake Roberts. It's very apparent. Um, And the guy they brought in to visit, Ole Miss tight end Michael Trigg, couldn't be more different than Jake Roberts if if he tried, honestly. I mean, this is a guy who's an athletic freak. A guy who just simply is a playmaker in the passing game. A true offensive weapon. A guy who you're not going to line up to do much inline blocking. Whereas Jake was pretty good at that. Um, Trigg is just a different type of prospect. And he's a priority prospect for them now. Uh, I'm anticipating that he makes a decision sometime this week. You know, probably could be, you know, could be today, could be later this week. But I I think that um, he's a guy Baylor needs to figure out a way to land. I, I think his... 
upside is so intriguing. Uh, I mean, he has this very high ceiling, and we've seen flashes of it. The problem is he just hasn't been on the field enough. Uh, This past year, he left Ole Miss early after just three games, left the program, um, which was unfortunate. But what it did do is it kept another season of eligibility available for him. So he's got two years of eligibility wherever he transfers. He was a former top 150 player in the nation in the 2021 class, and he had 49 offers, Craig. 49 out of high school. Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oregon, Penn State. Crazy offer list. Um, over the, his time in college, he's got 28 receptions, 330 yards, five touchdowns in just 15 games. Uh, his big storyline were the spring games at Ole Miss, in which he just went absolutely bananas 138 yards and a touchdown in 2023 and then 89 yards and three touchdowns in 2022 the guy's shown flashes he just hasn't put it all together but I think in Baylor's offense there's a chance that they could unlock him and really unleash him and make him one of the best tight ends in my eyes in the big 12 if not the country he has that kind of NFL uh, type ceiling if he can figure it all out so again Very different player than Jake Roberts. I think it's pretty clear that this was a good move for both sides. Jake gets to go to Oklahoma, a chance to be uh, very competitive there, have a nice season, finish his season strong, closer to home. Whereas Baylor gets to move on to a more athletic profile type tight end, more so fits what Drake Dabney was, who they lost to TCU. But Trigg even, I think, has more upside than Dabney did. So there is a... You know, a guy on the way out, and good luck to Jake Roberts. Like I said, hardly knew you, just the one year here in Waco, but I'm sure that's a thrilling moment for his family, uh, being from Oklahoma to go play for the state school. So that's pretty cool, and good luck to him with that. And don't have to feel, you know, nearly as bad when you know they're not going to play each other next year either. So it's not like he's like Drake Dabney going, you know, up the road and see you next year. Uh, but it's uh, still, you know, a. Um, uh, thing in progress, that tight end position for sure. So you see a guy on the way out, and you knew there was going to be some attrition there, and now potentially, uh, well, at least we know a big target that they are looking at to bring in there. So uh, there's a roundup of what's going on with football. Three additions, a couple of others that are kind of on the line that they're trying to reel in here, and uh, as well as you know a departure off the roster, now officially finding a new home there in Jake Roberts. Uh, so football-wise, sort of where does that leave us, you think? Because I know you've teased quite a bit, and there's a lot that's out there. I know there's a lot on the website right now as far as all of their plans and what they're looking at and things of that nature. So uh, anything else you want to add here in terms of the, the pigskin side of things? Yeah, so I've mentioned a couple. I also, you know, I, I guess it's important to talk about the jack position because that's really sure, the position yeah. that they're they're really struggling to recruit right now. And they brought in Ty French the first official visit period out of Gardner-Webb. He committed to West Virginia over Baylor. Um, And then you look at Cassius Howell, who visited this past weekend from Bowling Green. He committed to Texas A&M yesterday, last night, I believe. So two misses at the jack position for two of their top guys. I'm very curious because when Cassius Howell committed to A&M, they also had Marshall uh, edge rusher Elijah Alston committed. Well, Alston reopened his commitment today. He holds a Baylor offer, so I'm curious if maybe Baylor tries to pivot there and A&M and Baylor essentially swap or something along those lines. Um, 
We'll see. We'll see what happens. But again, the Jack position is a real priority for Baylor going forward, something they have to address. I think they'll probably bring in a visitor a visitor or two this upcoming weekend uh, to try to make sure they solidify that. Uh, outside of that, the offensive line is another area they're still evaluating and still looking at. A couple targets there um, that they're still evaluating. Uh, but if you want to know more on that, be sure to check out the premium side of things. Now, outside of that, I did want to mention Baylor did have an addition to the 2025 class this week as well. Um, as Southside Alabama 2025 offensive lineman uh, Haman Brown committed. Uh, so an Alabama guy commits and Baylor kind of an interesting situation there. He was offered by Eric Mateos, but he's built a really good relationship with Chris Kapilovic over the past few um, weeks, really. I mean, he was offered November 20th. And then of course, uh, Kapilovic's only been here for what, not even a month yet. So yeah. They're really still trying to build a relationship there, but 6'5", 303 pounds, had a Kentucky offer, as well as Appalachian State, I believe. Um, so good prospect, a guy that they got in on early, they get him committed early, and now Baylor's really loaded up in the 2025 class, especially along the offensive line. That's become a clear priority uh, for them up front as they already have three commits on the offensive line as he joins Duncan Bills to Sean Bryant and Carthage's uh, Cash Courtney. So now they got five commits in a 2025 class. Yeah, there is that 2025 class to now pay attention to, of course, and they'll have the second signing day here in about a month from now. Um, not sure. I guess what will that entail for them at this point? Uh, will that just be transfer guys? I know that's not really their bag I mean they can sign whenever they want to so is there even anything in the works for second signing day for Baylor is it all basically transfer portal and now the 2025 class I think a lot of it's going to come down to spots available after the transfer portal time period but I don't see them you know I think most of the transfer guys they get will be moved in this weekend also I think important to mention move in weekend is this weekend so early enrollees will be uh moving in um transfers will be moving in so you would like to have everything shored up this weekend where guys are moving in at least next week and getting ready for classes a lot tougher to do that in february because you can't really enroll um so yeah february is kind of up in the air maybe they try to add a 2024 guy late i think the biggest storyline going into that is whether alex foster is going to sign or not uh, the right. big defensive line commit. Texas is still making a strong push there. Um, but outside of that, that's probably the biggest storyline, and it is a huge one because, you know, he's my top-rated prospect in Baylor's 2024 class. So uh, that's notable just to know what to expect here over the next few weeks when it comes to 2024. But, yeah, it does seem like all of their eyes are pretty much on the portal and now building up this 2025 class, which is off to a good start and a handful of prospects, especially uh, looking nice on the offensive line right now uh, with that latest edition of Jamin Brown from Gadsden, Alabama, 6'5", 300-plus. So a long way to go with 2025, but you've got to start somewhere, and they've got uh, three offensive linemen, a wide receiver, and a quarterback uh, starting off this class with Jamin Brown being commit number five here so far. So we'll be tracking that over these next few months, of course. But, uh, yeah, the focus now shifts to 2025 and that class in particular in addition to the transfer portal. But uh, Alex Foster, the one – you're right, uh, the one storyline out there that still remains um, kind of – unsolved at this point or or not official at this unofficial at this point uh, so we'll see what he eventually decides here in the next month as well all right so there we are when it comes to football meanwhile on the hoops court let's now air every grievance we have about the new pavilion ready go 
Just kidding. Uh, have you been to the new pavilion yet? I have not yet. Yeah, I haven't either just because of Christmas break, yeah. being sick, and just being busy, man. And so I know a lot of people made their way over there. Uh, I'm reserving my judgment to like get there and get to see it myself, which is going to be here pretty soon. Uh, but Baylor men's basketball will start there, find themselves in the top 15, and uh, find themselves now 1-0 in conference play after a big win over Oklahoma State uh, this past weekend. And it was a tough one. It was uh, a game that needed extra time, an extra frame there in overtime, and eventually uh, able to put away the Cowboys on their home court there in Stillwater. Uh, just one of those where you're glad to walk away with a win, I think, is, is the biggest deal. But uh, the Bears now 12-2. and one and zero in Big Twelve play, and um, yeah, it's been quite the uh, the journey as this team sort of gets itself together and continues to learn about itself. And I was just sitting there wondering, like, man, are they really going to start off conference play with a loss just like that right out of the gate in Oklahoma State of all the teams? Uh, but they get the win, and now uh, they get ready for later on tonight. It'll be a top twenty five matchup with the BYU Cougars, who are. Clearly the strongest of the new teams that have joined the fray uh, of the new four this season. And then it'll be Cincinnati later on this weekend, also at home. So back-to-back home games for Scott Drew and the Baylor men. Yeah, I'm taking Houston over BYU, but I do. Oh, I yeah, do, you're right, yeah, Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, yeah, yeah, BYU has been very solid. They actually dropped a really weird one to Cincy, mm-hmm. and that kind of has dropped them. Cincy's been good. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, you look at the whole Big 12 standings, and it's a bunch of 11-win yeah. teams. I it's just blanked wild. out on, on Houston, but uh, yeah, you're right. Houston's been clearly the best, but BYU right there as a strong number two. Yeah, and Baylor will play them tonight, and that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Baylor's got to find a way to win that game. I, this team is so just really, uh, over the last month, it, it's gotten a little bit shaky. And the defense is really, it's hard to watch that defense and feel confident that they're going to be, you know, live up to the expectations they had at the beginning of the season. Um, For many people, they got to get better on that side. I know they were better in the Oklahoma State game, but Oklahoma State is 8-6. and They they might be, I mean, there's a chance they're the second worst team in the Big 12. A chance. You know, currently they are. I'm not sure if they're going to end up that way. Um, But they're not a very good team, and Baylor struggled mightily against them. Um, I'm curious how that kind of plays out going forward. Uh, This team can score the basketball, but they still have a lot to prove on that defensive side, and they're going to get tested by a really good BYU team tonight. Um, But I feel like it's a must win. You know, if you want to win the conference, if you want to win the Big 12, which are the expectations now for this Baylor program, you have to win the games at home. That's why Kansas has been so successful over however many years with Bill Self is because they don't lose games at Allen Fieldhouse. Now, we can debate the reasons for that. I understand that, but they find ways to win those games, and Baylor's got to do that over these next two games against BYU and Cincy. Two new members, two teams they should beat, but two teams that are hungry and both pretty dang good. Cincy 12-2, BYU 12-2. It's not going to be easy, but I think Baylor needs to start showing flashes of at least trending more towards a great team as opposed to a good team yeah they've been good they've been fine there's been some things though that definitely leave you uh wanting more especially on the defensive side they were awful from three the other night yeah. uh couldn't hit a three to save their life and uh just very fortunate to get out of Stillwater with a win uh against a Cowboys team that's probably going to be looking for a new head coach here pretty soon if they're not already getting their their ducks in a row uh for the offseason to to get that done I mean it just at this point it seems like they're in desperate need of a of a change if things continue at this current trajectory yeah. where they're eight and six to start the year and in what is otherwise a very strong big 12 they do appear to be the team that's probably going to be 
fighting to pull up the rear, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the Cowboys with a nice effort there, but uh, the Bears do get the win. So in the top 15 and now top 25 BYU later on tonight. So what a challenge uh, coming up, and we'll definitely know a lot more about them, which I know is the kind of obvious thing to say, but it's true. It's still kind of a learning process with this team at this point, and um, yeah, the new arena will get uh, a couple more opportunities this week for folks to go in there and check it out and uh, get to take it all in. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to going over there for the first time and, and keeping in mind that it's very much uh, not a finished product uh, at this point. But I've I've read good things. I've also read plenty of the hair pulling, hand wringing, what have you. Um, and uh, you know that is what it is. But uh, I know that. It's going to take some time to get everything fully uh, ready for what the finished product will be and, and looking forward to when they get around to that. And uh, just more than anything, want to see a good product on the court. Yeah. And uh, right now you are living pretty good if you're a Baylor basketball fan, even if there are some concerns with the men as opposed to how you felt about them at the start of the season. But meanwhile, if you're looking at the women's side of things, I mean, they are very, very strong in their own right and have exceeded, you would think, expectations up to this point. Um, whereas the men are probably not quite where you want them to be. I think the women are past where most thought that they would be, now up to number four in the country, Nikki Collin, and the women behind just South Carolina, UCLA, and Iowa, uh, as they have started off the season at 14-0. and It's been a great run for the formerly known as Lady Bears. Oh, I call myself there formerly known as the Baylor Lady Bears, but no, it's been a good run, and this past weekend uh, went over Houston, blowout fashion, 87-58, to blew out TCU, top 23 Frogs team in the game prior to that last Wednesday, so a couple of blowouts, and let's see here, 21-point margin of victory, and then a 29-point margin of victory, so uh, man, what a start, and that follows up, obviously, the win over Texas the weekend prior, uh, which was a much closer game, but that was a top-five win, so it's the top-five Bears uh, right now, Nikki Collin and company. Yeah, 3-0, a road win over Texas, who's expected to be kind of one of those top three teams competing in the Big 12 at the end of the year. So, I mean, I, this has been an awesome year so far for them, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the year. I did feel like the ceiling for this team was Final Four if they could get all together. I mean, I think we're seeing at a point now where you got to kind of look at it and say, you know, this is a great opportunity for them to win the Big 12 and actually make a run in the NCAA tournament. They're good enough to do that. They got wins over Utah, over Texas, over Miami. They have big wins on the schedule. They have big games going forward. But I also look at the Big 12 slate, and I see a conference that has some good teams at the top, but then at the bottom, I think it's really going to get ugly. I mean, there's, what, five, six, oh, and three teams? So there's going to be opportunities to get wins there. But I think the top of the league actually will give Baylor a chance to get a number one seat. And that's huge because in past years, it really felt like Baylor could only lose, like, a game or two because the Big 12 was so weak. Um or else it could push you to the two line. And so now I think the conference is competitive enough that I think this should give Baylor a shot at getting a one seed, making a deep run in the tournament. And I know we still got a long way to go, but 14-0, 3-0 in conference, a win on the road at Texas should tell you that this is absolutely a contender, not only in the Big 12, but nationally. So congratulations to Nikki Collin and the entire staff. And this team is looking really, really good. They're deep. They got a lot of a lot of girls on the roster who are very good and capable of playing. And I think that's the the biggest difference from a year ago. A lot of confidence as well. 
Yeah, they are not alone at 3-0. There's a long way to go, obviously. K-State, Iowa State, Oklahoma, also 3-0 to start off with. But they've all uh, suffered uh, some losses at this point. Uh, K-State 15-1, Iowa State 10-4, Oklahoma 9-5. But uh, Texas lost Rory Harmon. That was obviously a huge injury uh, for them to, to lose their leader and their their point guard a couple of weeks back. And so that will definitely play into things you would think as well. But they've, they've won a couple in a row. So they'll, they'll still be around and, and hanging around at 15-1, and one, but just much less formidable without Rory Harmon uh, as a part of the mix. So, yeah, we'll see where uh, this can go. But a very nice start for the Baylor women at the number four spot in the top 25 and uh, with a uh, – couple of games on the road this weekend so now to go to get road tested Kansas and Lawrence uh, coming up tomorrow night on Wednesday and then we'll go to the Hilton Coliseum to face Iowa State on Saturday so uh, we'll be paying attention to that and we'll talk about that next Tuesday meanwhile I think that's all the news for now uh, for this week at least and we'll get on into the mailbag to close out this episode of the Bearcast as we typically do and a lot to get to it started off with a question about women's basketball Scotty B is Jada Walker from the women's team remind you of Davion Mitchell when Davion was at Baylor for me it does because of her tenacity on defense and quickness it's not mentioning what she can do offensively anyways let's give a shout out to Baylor women's basketball player Yaya Felder getting 1,000 career points and becoming the fifth player on the current team to eclipse that mark so. Yeah, I mean that's congratulations. I mean that's a that's a huge honor. Now, as far as the question about Jada Walker, um, I can see that, but I also would say that I think defensively, I think you can say that. But I also think that year that Davion had um, his second year at Baylor was something different. I mean, Jada would have to be the second or first best player on the team, and I don't think she is that currently. But defensively, she's awesome. She's had a huge spark after transferring from Kentucky, and she's another huge part of the reason why their depth is so much better than it was a year ago. Sickle from Canada, nice pickup by the staff to get Kendrick Simpkins. Are you all expecting him to start at the star position over Corey Gordon? I see that Simpkins is a sack machine but how is he in coverage? And I saw where Desperado responded. Yes, he will start uh, to answer the question about do you expect him to start at the star position? But do you expect him to start at star over Corey Gordon? And uh, how is he in coverage? Yeah, and Sikkim from Candace said he'd like to hear from us since he asked us the question. But, yeah, I, I do. Oh, he said that later in the thread. Yeah, okay. later in the <laughs> yeah. thread. But, uh, yeah, he's starting. And he's going to play a massive role for this team. He'll be a guy who plays, you know, what, 98% of the snaps. Like, he's going to play a ton there. I actually think this could mean, you know, whether that whether you say Corey Gordon moves to, you know, maybe field or boundary safety, maybe Carl Williams moves back to cornerback. I think there will be some moving parts because of this addition. But the main root of this question, Kendrick Simpkins is absolutely going to start for Baylor. He is a huge upgrade in coverage, a guy who's played a ton of snaps, He's going to be very, very good, I think, for Baylor next year. And he's played against really good competition. Western Kentucky, they play good schedules every single year. Uh, and they play very different offenses, whether it's spread offenses or um, even power run offenses. They kind of see everything. So I, I think he'll be prepared for whatever they see in the Big 12. Yeah, definitely coming in to start. And you do like the production that you've seen. There's some prove it there, or done it, I should say. Whereas there's other guys, you're waiting for them to prove it. He's gone out there. He's played a lot of games. He's caused some havoc. He's got some interceptions. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's something that you're very excited about. Uh, and certainly 
major need of an upgrade at that position. So it seems to have addressed that somewhat here. And uh, thank you for taking this podcast international, Sikkim from Canada. We do appreciate you, and uh, hopefully uh, you enjoyed our response. So thank you for that, and hopefully we'll hear from you again. BU Me 08 with the transfer portal ads we've had so far. Can you recap where our greatest needs are still and possibly who you think might fill those needs? Right. So I think, you know, kind of went over that a little bit um, earlier, but wide receiver is a position they're still looking at. Mikey Matthews, uh, the Utah wide receiver is one I would keep an eye on. I'd also say as they move into more visits this upcoming weekend, you might get a better idea of who the other priorities could be. Obviously, they're having to shift gears a little bit after missing on LeJounte Wester. Uh, another position, uh, the Jack position, they've missed on their top two guys, Cassius Howell from Bowling Green and Ty French from Gardner-Webb. So definitely going to have to pivot there. Um, you know, I mentioned Marshall uh, Edge prospect Elijah Alston as a potential guy who they could get on a visit. Could be a different guy, maybe a surprise visitor this weekend. Um, we'll see on that, but Jack is clearly an area they want to target. Um, tight end, mentioned Michael Trigg, uh, the old Miss transfer as a potential option. And then offensive line, I think they're still looking at that position as well. A uh, guy to keep an eye on there, uh, Texas Tech offensive lineman Jacoby Jackson is one to, uh, to definitely keep an eye on there. And as well, as I mentioned, there's another visit coming this weekend. Uh, so another chance to have, you know, reevaluate your top targets, bring in new targets to talk to, to evaluate, especially after guys make decisions this week. All right, thank you for the question. Kenny's Doc, is there a hard cap for scholarships in football, or can we exceed the 85 limit as long as we are below it by a certain date in the summer? Thanks. They need to get to 85 for the spring, but I think what we're kind of dealing with here is that there could be more transfers that happen soon as guys graduate because graduate transfers can enter whenever they want. The other thing we're working with here is the fact that you don't have to account for all your signees in the 2023 class, only the ones who are early enrolling. And yes, that is a risk because you're going to have to create space for them in the summer, but in the spring, they don't count against your numbers. It's only the guys who have enrolled early, so keep that in mind as well. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else I've missed on this hard cap situation. Um, Yeah, I I think that's pretty much the gist of it um you have numbers uh don't count signees who aren't early enrolling um remember guys can still enter uh from now until you know for a while graduate transfers can enter whenever they want so just keep that in mind so yes the long story short they can't exceed the limit they just can't they have to have a certain number in the spring they can't go over 85 in the spring so if they have 85 in the spring and there's however many guys that are enrolling in the summer, would that go ahead and tell us, like, hey, there's seven guys that aren't going to be a part yes. of this roster? There will yeah. be attrition. It tells you there's attrition that's going to occur, and there's attrition that has to occur. Now, I would guess that the staff would pretty much know where that attrition is going to come yeah, from. You'd have to know. Um, and why go through all spring right. ball? So that's kind of makes it weird. But, yeah. yes, you can't have extra guys. I anticipate that, you know, when spring ball – you know, as this portal period ends, you might sit there and go, wow, they have, you know, 87 scholarship guys. Mm-hmm. That's okay. All right. Uh, Kenny, hopefully that answers your question. Master Pierce, MPA, should we as fans read into the lack of decision by Richardson? Uh, speaking of Dominic Richardson and Javon Gibson, a little odd with like 99% of the team from this year making GXG or transfer annou- announcements. And yeah, those are the only two of all of the players eligible to come back. The only two that have not put out a public 
Instagram post or a tweet saying GXG and I'm running it back or whatever phrasing you want to use. So should fans read into that lack of a decision publicly? I mean, multiple people have posted their GXG thing and then transferred. I mean, Jake Roberts did it. So it's fair. I mean, that has happened as well. Um, I would say you can read into it. I would also say that I still anticipate Dominic Richardson to be back at Baylor. That's just kind of my viewpoint on it. I don't know as much about Javon Gibson currently as far as what's going to happen there. Um, I would say it's a little odd, but I would also say that there might be reasons for it. Maybe guys are still trying to decide what they want to do. Maybe they've already decided and just didn't post anything publicly. Uh, There's a lot to that, um, but I I think I can only go off of what I've kind of heard in in my read on the situation. Not going to read into just them not posting a tweet or whatever. So we wait, uh, I guess, is is basically the thing to do. Although, I guess, lean on the side of them coming back, and uh, we'll see here in about a, you know, five-week, six-week period when spring ball starts up, although we don't know the official dates. Um, a couple months from now, I should say. A little bit longer than five or six weeks, uh, most likely. But, uh, yeah, I uh, don't, don't have any full clarity there, but uh, Grayson gave you what he got, so I guess take that for what it's worth. Uh, Bearcats, uh, out of the transfer portal commits so far, rank the commits from biggest impact to least. Thanks, guys. I enjoy the show. Well, thank you, Bearcats. We enjoy having you along with us here. Okay, so just of the transfers, not going to count the JUCO additions, I guess. Yeah, I don't think. I don't I don't count them in the transfers. Transfer. Yeah. I don't either. Okay, so uh, Daquan Finn is number one. It's pretty the easiest decision to make. Yeah. Um, Kendrick Simpkins, number two. Omar Igbedian and Daniker are basically tied for me at number three. You had to revamp the offensive line. I think they're both very similar. Um, I'd give the nod to Igbedian barely. Um, and then Ashton Hawkins and then Cameron Jenkins. That's how I would rate it for next season. It's actually how I would go along with it as well. I mean, maybe flip Hawkins with the offensive lineman, but I think it just all depends on your perspective and what you, you know. Obviously, the offensive line's a huge need. And they are a little bit more set at wide receiver. So that's just me thinking, like, he'll come in and make an impact. And it's not really a, one of those where you, you spice it up and you hope it's good. Like, he's done it. And so that's why I'm pretty confident he'll come in and make an impact. But, yeah, I mean, you could kind of flip-flop that. I definitely think Finn's the top guy. And then Simpkins being the position of need that that is, I think that's uh, right there uh, at second. And, yeah, O-line, Ashton Hawkins, and then... Cameron Jenkins, all due respect, but somebody's got to be number five here. Yeah. So that's how I would go. Uh, he's as also well. young. He's a freshman. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it kind of makes sense. Yeah, he's not uh, as polished and as far along as a lot of those guys. So, yeah, it, ask again in a couple of years. He might be the number one guy in one of these ranking sets that we're doing. Right. Hopefully that's the case. Uh, a good a good ranking set, obviously. Golden Green with the addition of Simpkins. Do you see Carl Williams moving back outside to corner? So I kind of mentioned this. I think it does mean that, you know, you're going to have to decide what you're going to do with Corey Gordon and Carl Williams as far as moving, you know, one to deep safety or moving one to corner. I think you'd like one of them to stay at star so that you have depth there behind Kendrick Simpkins and, and also coming in play some as well. I kind of think Carl is potentially the star of the future. I think there's a chance that he ends up being that guy. And if he is that guy, then you probably keep him at star as it's really just a one-year waiting period. Uh, Sikkim Bears 23. Do we have time to do this? Uh, five minutes to go here. Yeah. Um, all right. Way too early predictions. Guesses. Oh, we, we got 20 minutes. We got till 1230. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. we're okay. 
Uh, way too early predictions, guesses. Who do you guys think leads the team next year in catches? Uh, Ashton Hawkins. Yeah, I, I need to refresh my mind on the roster, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not even in my head, like, who's still on here? And I mean, it'd be Keytron, Monterey, or Ashton, probably. Wouldn't, yeah, it'd but, probably be one of those three. Yeah, Keyshawn, Monterey. Um, I'll go Monterey Baldwin there. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, for catches. Uh, who leads in carries? Uh, Dominic Richardson. I'm telling you, man, I got to refresh my... I. I Totally unplugged for two weeks. I mean, I literally got completely disconnected. I needed it. I needed it to reset my brain. And so now I'm kind of rebooting the whole thing and trying to remember who's where and what. Um, so, yeah, maybe we'll just deal with you with the here because okay. you're a little bit quicker thinking. Uh, touchdowns, receiving and rushing. Okay, receiving, I'm going to go with Keytron Jackson. Um, rushing, I'm actually going to go a little bit, little bit off the radar here, sort of, maybe. I'm going to go with... Uh, Daquan Fenn. I think Daquan he's, Fenn is yeah, I think he's going to lead in touchdowns. Not in yards, but in touchdowns. Okay, I could see that. That's fair enough. Uh, sex. This is another one that is a big risk on my part, but I, I'm very intrigued by the skill set. I'm going to go with Jackie Marshall currently. I will say I'm going to put the caveat. Whoever they land as the other Jack with Garmin Randolph will also be in contention for this. Um, but I, I think Jackie's going to have a really, really big year. All right, interceptions. Um, let's go with Caden Jenkins. Be there. a good, pretty safe pick there. That's one that doesn't take me more than about two seconds to think about that one. Uh, tackles, the final one here, the final category. Yeah, Juco transfer Keaton Thomas, I, I think, is going to lead this team in tackles. Uh, they haven't brought in another linebacker, which tells me he's probably going to start. Um, tackles are a little bit tougher. I would probably go with him or Kendrick Simpkins, but I'm going to go with the linebacker uh, in this situation. All right, so Sikkim Bears 23, there you go. And uh, I will try and rewind back to this at some point or another when I've got a better brain uh, functioning where I can just reel off. Like, Caden Jenkins is obvious on interceptions, but I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, who all's at wide receiver still? That's what I'm doing, and that's mm -hmm. why it's taking me a second because I'm trying to think who graduated, who's still around, who's coming in, and that's where my brain's a little bit mush because it's, it's, not, it's not all – clicking just yet i don't know this roster as well as i will in a you know a month's time when they they finally had the dust settle a little bit but uh hopefully that was enough for you to to uh to digest this week overrated if you were college football commissioner for a day what's the first change you would make overall and secondly to the calendar nil salary cap would be my first change overall and to the calendar um I'd probably move things back, um, especially as this 12-team playoff happens because, you know, the season's going to run really, really long. I, I would maybe take a game away from the beginning of the season and just kind of get ready for the playoff in that way. That's probably what I'd do for the calendar. I know people are upset about the portal calendar. I understand that too, but it's going to get even worse with this playoff. So I don't really know how you fix that specifically. Yeah, the college football commissioner one's hard because there's just so many things that you'd love to tweak, but there's things that just aren't very realistic. Like, for example, having a salary yeah. cap. I mean, that's just not doable not. right now um, with the way it's set up. You'd have to have unions. And I know Jim Harbaugh in his, one of his post-game interviews was talking and basically 
I mean, looking at his players and saying, like, that's the next evolution or that's the next step is is unions. And so that's how we would get to that. But that also means that you've got guys contracted and they're full-time yeah. employees and all that comes with that, full-blown benefits and, and all of these different things. So that would be the thing to kind of lasso in some of the craziness. But legally, not possible mm-hmm. right now. And so that's what makes – being the college football commissioner so difficult as there's so many things you'd love to do, but so many of them you really wouldn't be allowed to do, you know, like put everybody back in their old conferences that, you know, that'd be a nice (laughs) idea, but the commissioner really can't do that either. No. Uh, So if I could just have my way, yes, there would be some sort of a uh, cap just makes it sound so negative in a way, you know, because I don't want to like restrict these guys from making money that they deserve to make. But I know where you're coming from. Of just everyone the, needs to be equal, yeah, money wise. But that's because, not where we are because yeah. the brands already aren't equal. They aren't like people are choosing schools because of the brand, because of the conference. But I think if at least if you make the money equal, I think mm-hmm. there is some merit to that. Uh, to make you know competition a little bit more diverse because right now it's just so concentrated that you know sometimes it makes college football not fun. But this is also the reason why I like a twelve-team playoff because at least you get opportunities to see other schools compete on the biggest stage. Yeah, it's just uh, it's hard to do. It's hard to say Ohio State you can only spend as much as Texas Tech or right. whatever, and yeah, that's just not something that's going to fly. Nor would be legal. Uh, without some major changes to the sports, that's a much harder question to answer than just "Hey, what would you do?" It's, yeah. And uh, but that's a that's a fun question, overrated to sit here and think about. And uh, man, the sport really could use a, a commissioner type, that's for sure. But that's been talk for years and years, and and nothing's really changed there. Uh, the first change I would make to the calendar would be yeah to, to do something with that early signing day. It's just it's too cluttered. It's too traffic jammed uh, right there in the month of December, especially right before Christmas. It's just madness uh, going on all at once. And with the expanded playoff, like you said, I mean, there's just got to be a better way and a better spot on the calendar to do that. Even, I mean, move that up um, if you want to, but then that opens the door for guys changing their minds. And, you know, of course they're going to get a waiver to then go and do what they want after the fact. So the earlier I don't think is better. And the, it's hard to make it feasible because it's in the middle of the season. Yeah. So you're, so you're, then you're still in a bit of a log jam. Yeah. So the only time where it kind of clears out is where the old traditional signing day is in February. And that's where it is. And so it's almost like, do you just eliminate the early signing day? Would that be better at this point versus where do we put the second one? Well, what do you just go back to the, the loan signing day? Would that yeah. be better at this stage? I don't know. It, it might be, but that would be the first change would be adjusting that first signing day or outright eliminating it. That would be the first thing I would do with the calendar. How did it work? I, I'm forgetting when it was in February with early enrollees. Did guys just sign and then they got on oh, campus? God, I don't even do you remember? remember? I don't even remember at this point. Um, because that it's so far out. It's like guys yeah. can early enroll if they sign in February now, basically. But I, yeah. I was wondering back then, did guys just enroll? It's a good then, question because I really have not thought about that at all. And I don't recall even what it was like. I think guys just kind of signed their financial aid agreements. And they just showed up, right? Yeah, and just yeah. enrolled early. But you, it just was kind of an understanding. And you also weren't sitting there getting guys in your DMs because DMs didn't exist. So there wasn't a coach sitting there trying to you know reel you in. They were doing it over the phone, but they weren't offering 
things the way they're being offered now. So, yeah, I think it was pretty much just signing your financial aid agreement and you were locked in and they're, you know, if you made the wrong decision, well, sorry, bud, you're sitting out next year. There was actually repercussions for your decisions. And so you had to make the right decision or you just gritted your teeth and got through it. Otherwise, you were going to be in the the non-transfer portal era where you just sat out a year and no matter Mm -hmm. what. And so I think that led to... Probably a lot of people having to grit their teeth and not be very happy, but your decision was your decision. And that's certainly a far cry from where we are now, where you've got quarterbacks who have already used up all of their eligibility trying to say that, I know that I played in an extra game than I should have, but my brother was injured and I was honoring him, like Talia Tagovailoa. Have you seen that? No, but I... Yeah, no, he played in five games, and now he's requesting an extra year, even though he's used up all his eligibility, because the game that he played in, which was a total fumble by Alabama staff to Mm -hmm. not be paying attention to that, or they just figured it'll never matter, so he can burn his red shirt and it's fine. But he played in five games one of the seasons. You can only play in four, so he didn't maintain his red shirt. And now he's filing a waiver saying that one of the games that he played in um, that it was honoring his brother who had gotten hurt. And so Mm. that was his like, and it's BS. I mean, he probably was honoring his brother, but that's not a reason to, oh yeah, well that fifth game doesn't count now. No, because if you do that, then that's going to open up everybody who played in five games or six Mm -hmm. games. Like what's the cutoff then? Right. Because now you're changing the entire rules. The guy in front of me got hurt and I was forced to play. Yeah. I like, played one snap, and I should get my whole right. – you know, maybe you should, but that's that's now the case that will be interesting to watch is, is Talia Tagovailoa as he seeks to get a, another year of eligibility even though he burned his red shirt. And he's trying to transfer, right? Yes, yeah. and he's trying to transfer, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's either he gets this and he gets this year that will then open up another Pandora's box, and Paul seems to think that he'll get it because it's the NCAA. I, on the other hand, think you can't do that. You've got to put your foot down somewhere because otherwise then – Every Tom, Dick, and Harry who play in five games will be requesting their redshirt sure. back. And I just think that that's too much of a mess to clean up versus just saying no for once and saying, no, you can't have what you want to have, and you have used up all of your eligibility, and you've got to go. So, yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting decision to watch from the NCAA. Um, but, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes for them. All right, um, let's see here. Where were One we? One more. Bears 224, after some time from the disappointing season, how much optimism for next season do you have with how the portal is going? What are your expectations from where Baylor will land in the conference next season? Thanks, and Sikkim. Yeah, I, I mean, there has to be at least some optimism given how they've done in the transfer portal. They have made some really intriguing additions, but they still have a long way to go in my eyes. There's still pieces on this roster that aren't complete, Um I think the hiring of Jake Spavital, revamping the offense, Dave Aranda taking over uh, essentially defensive coordinator duties is definitely encouraging. You know, adding Daquan Finn as your quarterback, that's a big deal as well. Um, I think the more that I look at, the more I do think Baylor's going to rebound and be a bowl team next year. But outside of that, I can't really put my finger on how this team's going to do, especially because their schedule, it's pretty daunting. And it's one that's going to be uh, a struggle. Um, so I think right now I have them somewhere probably between five and seven wins. Uh, you know, they're going to have to do a lot, I think, for me to move off of that. Yeah, I'm optimistic. I like some of the moves that they've made. I also know that we were sitting here this time last year and getting 
geeked up about all the moves they made, and we know what that turned into. So, you know, on one hand, there is the excitement of something new and fresh. There's also just the cold, hard reality that not every move's a great move, and you hope that they are, but ultimately these guys have to get on campus, get coached up, and then go out there and perform. And there was some of that last year. There was a lot of not of that in various categories last year. So I think they've moved quickly to try and change where they could change and also have dealt with change, you know, with Sean Bell leaving, for example. Um, but I feel like they're making some good positive steps. I think that there's some good continuity over there right now. I think it was great to see the roster pretty much stay intact uh, as far as the guys that you wanted to stick around have, have basically all stuck around, and that was a lot better of a percentage that they landed coming back than I think anybody would have imagined uh, given the way the season went. I think you thought Caden Jenkins was gone. You thought this guy was gone and that guy was gone, and they're pretty much all the guys you wanted are back. So I think that bodes really well for uh, how the team feels about Aranda, but they now they need to go out there and perform for him and help save his job, you know, in the long run be, by winning games. So having said all that, I'm optimistic, but I'm not a fool, and I don't think that they're Big 12 champion worthy right now uh, to go off and, and think that we're going to be crowning them anytime soon. Uh, after the year they just had, they got a lot of a ground to make up when it comes to hoisting expectations or, or, or having lofty expectations for them. We, we've got to see some actual proof in the pudding to think that they're anywhere near scraping for a title again. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be a little while, no matter what they do in the transfer portal for me to, to buy into that. But I do think they're a bowl team or should be a bowl mm-hmm. team. Uh, beyond that, though, we got way too many unknowns, and it would be silly to think that uh, they're you know they're a ten win team. Nick. No, no way to know that, and and definitely no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt there. So, uh, trending right uh, as far as the direction goes, but still a lot of work to do. Bears two twenty four. That's where we are in, uh, for me right now. Yeah, and and that's kind of exactly where I'm at with, with that range of being a bowl team, kind of being middle of the pack in the Big 12 currently. Uh, they're going to have to have some big additions for me to pivot off of that um, and a big spring. Like mm-hmm. We're going to have to see a really good spring from this team and see a team that's very improved at multiple positions. So we'll see if they can get there. But again, very, very intriguing start. Uh, to portal season and and they need to finish strong this week yeah it's been a bad week for those who love to talk about the lack of momentum or Mm -hmm. the lack of pickups three guys in the past few days uh, up to six transfer portal commits and uh, probably a handful more give or take uh, to come as well so stay tuned to sikkim365.com and we will have all that information on visits and I guess, uh, thoughts and predictions and everything else, all things Baylor recruiting over on the website right now as a part of the premium section. So a great time to go sign up if you haven't signed up already or if you were thinking about signing up once again. Uh, This is outside of the actual season. I mean, the offseason is probably as interesting as the season in a lot of cases, but especially right now with the way that they're trying to retool. So a lot going on over on the boards. And uh, that'll about do it for us here this week. You can catch us every Tuesday at 11.15 on the Sikkim 365 uh, website, uh, also on your favorite podcast platforms, and, of course, live at 
11.15 on Tuesdays on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page, which we would appreciate if you hit like and subscribe. And uh, anything else before we go here, Grayson? No, just be sure to check out the Sikkim 365 premium side. Um, you know, I can't dive as deep um, on the podcast giving away everything, so be sure to check that out if you want kind of the, the nuances of recruiting and, you know, where Baylor is at, who their targets are. You definitely need to be on the premium side if you want that even more information, I would say. Yep, so that'll do it for us this week. Do appreciate all of those uh, out there for listening. Uh, thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well. And for Grayson Grunhafer, I'm Craig Smoke. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.